You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. We'll be reading from Malachi 1, 4, 1 through 6. Kathy said this would be easy because I speak to children publicly. This is not easy with adults, so <laughs> it's a little different. The great day of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the day of the, the, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Dear my Father, we just thank you for bringing us all here this morning safely, and we just pray for those that weren't able to make it, that you will be with them as well. We just ask, Lord, that you open our eyes and our hearts and speak to our spirit this morning. Just help us to listen to the message that you've provided with Andrew. Just help us to hear in our hearts the message that you're putting through him for us and how we can apply that to our lives. We just thank you for all that you do for us and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job, Michelle. You did great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is a little nerve-wracking, right, when you're in front of people? Yeah. Oh, standing O for standing O from Lucy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it's good to see you guys. Um, I want to start off today by posing a question for all of us to sort of consider and think about as we kind of go along uh, this morning. And that question is this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the picture there. That's from a, I won't tell you the name of that movie. Does anybody know the name of this movie? This is a pretty old movie. I, Marlon Brando? Is that the name of the, that's the name of the actor, Carlton. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's like hot rods to hell or something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, but you, you get the idea that we're getting, right. So this is the question that I want us to be um, considering as we kind of go along. Who do you trust with your future? Um, I think a lot of us, or maybe I should speak for myself, but I I think a lot of us, we sort of live our days just trying to make life work, right? And sometimes that sort of includes things like controlling our circumstances as much as we're able to control our circumstances. Sometimes that means controlling people. Um, we know who are off limits with regard to that, but sometimes our family members are more 
in the limits in our own minds of like, okay, we can control, I can control my situation by controlling uh, people. And some of the reasons why we do that, I think, is because we're afraid if we don't do that, right, where things will end up, right? We're going to end up in a ditch if I don't take control of this type of situation. So in theory, right, we're in a Christian church, so we know the answer to the question, you know, who do I trust my future with? Well, with Jesus, right? That's what we say in theory. But in reality, like that, that goes pretty well as long as the road is smoothly paved and things like that. But once things start to get a little bit rocky, a little bit bumpy, a little bit scary, right, then, you know, we start to feel a little bit differently about it. We, we want to grab for the wheel and start to take control of, of our own lives because it can be scary to kind of let God be in control of our own lives. Now, this, this is just kind of a universal human tendency. It's part of fallen human humanity. And so, guess what? Malachi, when he is speaking to the, 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 the people he is speaking to during the time of Malachi, they are dealing with the same sort of things that we are dealing with. They want to take control uh, of certain things and, and to make their life uh, work. So this is um, our last sermon in the book of Malachi, which feels a little bit weird when you, like, were you guys here for the book of Mark? That took, like, so long. And, like, Malachi, it just seemed like we went right, right through it. But this is the, the last um, Sunday that we'll be spending in Malachi. And it'll be my last Sunday here for a couple of months because I'm going to South Africa to finally, after seven years, seven years, to retrieve uh, my daughter that, that's there. I have a picture of her holding up a little sign where she's just, she's just learning that she has a family, you know? And she wrote a note on, on her notebook that says, thank you. And it's just like, you know, you want to, so as crazy as everything feels with regard to that, it's just like, okay, just keep your eyes focused on this little girl. So all my four other children, all of us are heading to um, South Africa and we'll be, we'll be gone for a while and, and it's kind of indeterminate, but it, it's like a month to six weeks, somewhere in that range, um, I'll, I'll be gone. But we are in the book of Malachi. This is our last, last uh, time in this book. And as we've been saying, the book of Malachi was written to Israelites who had been liberated from their captivity in Babylon. They were brought back into Jerusalem. The, the Jerusalem was in shambles. They rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt the temple. But another thing that was going on was that there were these wrong ideas that began to float to the surface in the minds of the people uh, that Malachi is ministering to. And it comes especially when you think about all the challenges that they were facing, right? They're in a drought at this time. There were all these crop-eating pests, so they're experiencing famine that causes all kinds of money problems for them. And so you can imagine how they are wanting to take control of what's going on, and they begin to question certain things that maybe they were already questioning a little bit regarding God, but now those, those doubts and things about God are beginning to grow, and they're beginning to kind of solidify. And so Malachi is uh, uh, written to address those wrong ideas that are coming to the surface of the minds of those who, who are reading. Through these six disputes that we have kind of been walking through, 
And last time we were together, we looked at, or we were at least introduced to, the last dispute, the sixth dispute, which is all kind of revolving around the question, is it worth serving God? That's the big question that's being addressed there. And that kind of dovetails with our question this morning, doesn't it? Like, who should we trust with our future? Now, if if you remember last time, when we were going over the the first part of the sixth dispute, we were introduced to three groups of people. Let's call them the rebels, the religious, and the remnant. If you remember the rebels, they were those who were, some of them were arrogant. They thought they were above God's law, so they did whatever they wanted. But then there were others who were evildoers, who were, uh, they, they pushed people down. They were oppressed other people, all with the aims of getting worldly blessing now. That was their goal. Let's get worldly blessing now. And what the religious noticed about the rebels was, hey, it seems like they're getting away with it. It seems like they're escaping God's judgment. So they're the rebels. So if you ask them the question, like, who do you trust for your future? They would say, well, we trust ourselves for our future. But then we also met the religious Now, the religious are interesting because they are serving at the temple. They're doing all these religious things. But then if you keep reading, and especially if you understand it in the context of all of Malachi, you begin to recognize that they thought that they were entitled to worldly blessing now because of their religious performance. They were like, God, we're playing your religious game Why aren't we receiving worldly blessing now? And so when it comes to the question, okay, who will you trust your future with? They're like, well, we we trust God if he gives us worldly blessing now. If not, we don't trust God. So, And we noted last week that actually there's not a lot of difference between the rebels and the religious, right? What's their end game? What's, What's their goal? worldly blessings now. They just have different ways to get there. These guys say, we just ignore God and oppress people. That's how we get worldly blessings now. These guys say, hey, we play a religious game. That's how we get worldly blessing now. But they both treasure worldly blessing now above God. So they're both the same, actually, in that way. But then we also met uh, met a different group called the remnant. And they, they gathered together and they spoke with each other. And it wasn't like they never struggled with the idea, but they were, they were encouraging one another and telling one another, no, it's worth serving God. It's worth trusting him with our future. Even if God is sort of driving us through some really rough terrain right now, like we, we can trust him that he's going to bring us to a good destination. And, and God, like if you remember last time that we were together, he responds very strongly to that. Like he says, you, you got to write, hey, write this down, write that down, write down what they're saying, right? You know, and then he says this in verse 17 and 18. This is Malachi chapter 3. He says, they, the remnant, they're having this discussion, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. So we're talking about the day of the Lord here. Remember that. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. 
Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about this coming day of the Lord when God is going to make this distinction between those who either through religious manipulation or through oppressing other people who are trying to um, take charge of their own future. God makes a distinction between them and this remnant that is looking to God. They're putting their hope in God with regard to their future. So we're going to be talking about the day of the Lord. And I want to make two statements about it from this passage. One is that the day of the Lord will be experienced differently by different people. That's the first point that we're going to look at this morning. The day of the Lord is going to be experienced differently by different people. And then the second point I want to make is that knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, it actually changes the way you feel and experience your present life. So those two things are what we're going to be walking through today. So the first point is that the day of the Lord will be experienced differently by different people. Now, when we talk about the day of the Lord, um, it's this huge concept in the Bible. We've talked about it before. Sometimes it's called that day. Sometimes it's called the day. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's even called the day of Christ. right? But whenever we're talking about it, we're talking about how God intervenes sometimes uh, very dramatically in human history. So whenever God dramatically intervenes in human history, we call that a day of the Lord. And part of the thing that, the, 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 as, the certain aspects that go along with it, there's certain things that happen when God dramatically intervenes in human history. He judges sin. He liberates the remnant of their oppression. And he establishes his rule. And that brings forth a new day. Right? So now this, this happens periodically through the history of redemption. So let me just give you two examples. So the Exodus is a day of the Lord, right? Where God brings judgment upon Egypt, right? In order to liberate Israel, right? The 10 plagues culminating in the death of the firstborn sons, unless you have the blood of the lamb on the lentils of your, of your doorpost, right? He brings salvation through judgment in that type of way. And then as they are exiting out of Egypt, they're going through the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea because God parts the waters. But then what happens after that? The pursuing armies come and then God causes the waters to come over the pursuing armies of Egypt. So God brought salvation through judgment. The day of the Lord is a day when God brings salvation and he advances his kingdom through judgment. So another example would be uh, more recently for the readers of Malachi, when God liberated them from the oppression of Babylon, right? He raises up the Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus, who is called in Isaiah 45.1, a lowercase c Christ, right? And he brings deliverance through Cyrus by judging Babylon, which liberates the oppressed remnant of Israel out of Babylon, and he brings them into the promised land. So you see this story sort of recurring throughout the Bible where God brings salvation and he advances his kingdom through judgment. So we have these intermediate sort of lowercase d days of the Lord throughout redemptive history, but they are all 
patterned after, and they all point forward to a final day of the Lord. When Yahweh will send his Messiah and in judgment in order to make the world right, in order to restore the world. Now, what the New Testament tells us is it combines that idea of the day of the Lord that is coming, that final day of the Lord, with the second coming of Jesus Christ. It puts them together. So you see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for example. In first, uh, the first and second chapter of uh, 2 Thessalonians also, Mark 13, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and various other places, this idea is combined, the day of the Lord is combined with the second coming. And so uh, what Malachi does, that's kind of like all the backdrop behind what Malachi is talking about. He's referencing the day of the Lord over and over and over again. He says, okay, that day of the Lord is coming. And then he kind of says, Look, this is going to be experienced in two radically different ways. And then he uses two um, powerful, maybe uncomfortable um, images to make this point. Right? Some will experience the day of the Lord like a burning furnace, and others will experience the day of the Lord like a healing sunrise. Very different um, images. So let's walk through each of those. Some experience it like a burning furnace. In verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4, we read these words. For behold, the day is coming. We're talking about the day of the Lord. Burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So throughout the Bible, God is presented as burning with holiness. So much so that he consumes just by his nature. It's, it's almost like a, a natural consequence of coming into contact with unholiness. That unholiness is consumed. Right, completely consumed like stubble. Right? So in talks about so if you are arrogant and you put yourself above God's law, or you oppress other people, right, then you experience the day of the Lord like a burning furnace, and you are completely consumed from root all the way to the branch, right? Meaning completely. Right? And then it, it, it reminds me of what Malachi said earlier in Malachi chapter 1, verse 4, when he's talking about the nation of Edom. Right? In the nation of Edom, <clears throat> he says, hey, look, I love you. Remember how I protected you against Edom, right? and I judged them. Right? <clears throat> and when they say, like after the judgment, he's imagining them saying, well, we will rebuild the ruins. And then God says in Malachi 1, 4, no, you won't. Like, no, it, it's going to be It's going to be over. And in this way, God is, see, for God to establish his rule, right, which the, which the days of the Lord are all about him establishing his rule for the benefit of his people, he has to squash the enemies to do, to do that. In order for him to be able to do this in a final kind of way so that he can establish a kingdom that is enjoyable for the remnant, he must... Remove people who say no to the kingdom of God and who oppress others. 
How are you going to have a kingdom of God if there's people who say we don't want to be under that rule and we want to continue to oppress others? That'll be just like now. Like that's, that's right now, right? But God is saying like, no, there's going to come a day where like all that's going to be, that's going to be done. And so for the wicked, they experience the day of the Lord like this burning, this burning furnace. They may seem to be getting away with things right now. Right? The arrogant may be able to escape God's judgment now, or at least it appears that they are. But there's going to there's come a day where it's, it's going to show, be shown that that's actually not true. So there are those who experience the day of the Lord in that way. But then there are those who experience the day of the Lord like a healing sunrise. In verse 2 of Malachi 4, it says, But for you who fear my name. And we said earlier, when you look at the poetic parallelism in the book of Psalms, we learn that those who fear the Lord are those who take refuge in God. Psalm 31, 19. Those who hope, this is where they put their hope for their future, in his steadfast love. Psalm 33, 19, those who Malachi 3, 17 said, or 15, I believe, said that they got together, this remnant that got together, that reminded one another, hey, it's worth following God. It's worth putting our hope of our future in him. Those, those are the people who fear God. And he says, so we're not talking about people who don't struggle with sin. Who, like, not talking about perfect people. We're talking people who recognize, yeah, I'm a sinner. Like, I'm in deep trouble. I actually need God's consuming fire to purify me. Because there's a lot of Edomite in Andrew DeCanter, right? But the only difference that both... <laughs> Ooh, be careful. Uh, all right. Edomites will burn. And we're all Edomites. The only difference is, is how do you want to experience that? Do you want to be completely consumed? Or do you want to come in humility to God and say, I'm an Edomite. If you don't come in, Lord Jesus, there's not going to be anything left when you come on your day because you are a consuming fire. And for those who have Jesus on the inside, the, it's like, but then there's something that remains. You and Jesus united together. See, don't, don't think for a second that you're better than Edomites. Like, then you would be missing the gospel completely. We're all there in need of God's saving grace. And we will, there's not going to be any evil in the kingdom of God. Those who want to retain evil, they'll be gone. But there's not going to be any evil in you either. And God is going to purify you with his holy heat, let's say. Right, so... There's some who experience it like a burning fire, but then there's those who experience it like a healing sunrise. He says, for those who fear the Lord, this is how they experience. The son of righteousness 
shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So we have this winged sun that brings healing, right? And it it brings about this reversal where those who used to be trampled by oppressors are now walking and are like, what are we walking on? It's kind of ashy, you know? And it's like, oh, these were those who used to oppress. But now we have been liberated. And so this reversal happens. Now, this this image of of a sun, a winged sun rising is a very, very old image. Like, you can find it in Egypt, you can find it in Assyria, you can find it in in, in Persia. But in every case, this this symbol of a a winged sun rising is a symbol of royal power and divinity. Right. And so, Christian interpreters throughout history have said, that is Jesus. That is Jesus. There's a divine king that's coming. And he's, he's going to rise, and as he rises, right, he will bring about this reversal. He will bring about this liberation where, where we go out like, like, I hate to call it, we're, today we are fatted calves, okay? <laughs> I mean, I hate it when people call me a fatted calf. Yeah. But today we're fatted calves that are left out of the stall, right? And we receive his, his healing, Right? But it, 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 now, and here's what 1 Thessalonians 5 does with this. It says that those of us who have united ourselves to Jesus Christ, that we are children of this day. No longer children of the darkness, but children of this day by virtue of the fact that Jesus experienced all of God's fiery wrath like a burning furnace on the cross so that we might experience the day of the Lord like a healing sunrise. By his scars, we are healed. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And so the final day of the Lord is like this burning furnace for those who stand opposed to God and oppress other people. But for those who belong to God, it is like this healing sunrise, a new day. And for those who are united to Jesus by faith, this day has already begun to dawn. But then we anticipate it coming in its fullness when Jesus comes again to make the world right. Now, this this understanding of, of Jesus coming back again and making the world right... It has the power if we, if by the Holy Spirit, it it reaches our hearts and we embrace it by faith. It has the power to quiet that voice inside, that anxious voice inside of you and of me that says, man, I'm an orphan child out here. Like no one's going to take care of me unless I take care of myself. Like if if I don't grab this wheel, we will end up in a ditch, right? And and that understanding of that bigger picture, like, no, no, no. Like, God is going to make everything right. When we hold on to that hope, then we can rest. We can abide. We, We can trust the Father who's driving us 
seems like either too slow or way too fast down this really bumpy road with these cliffs on either side, you know? And we're like, ho, ho, and we want to grab that wheel, right? And when we're looking at the road, it's like, you know, and you got these ditches, and you're like, what the heck? I was driving with Brandon one time. We were by this, um, I think it was like a cornfield, but it was like his farm was like this high, and then there was like this huge ditch, right? And have you ever driven with Brandon? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Andrew. It's like, what are you doing right now? And so it's, and the, all the dirt was loose, and he was like, he's laughing. He's laughing, of course. And he, he's flooring it, right? Because he wants to show me what a rooster tail is, because I'm from the city. I don't know what that, what are you talking about? And, uh, and we're like right by this ditch, and we keep swerving, because the gravel's loose. We keep swerving to the thing, and I'm like, you, I'm like wanting to grab the wheel. He's laughing, you know, and sometimes life feels like that. Shh, 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 shh. Like we're going to the edge. And like, God, I, like, God, are you a good driver? Like, do we need to take away your license? It's like, so you can feel that way. And when I think about going to, to South Africa, you know, I knew I was going to South Africa. It's not like it's new to me, right? But like now as it is approaching, and you think about all the things you have to tie up over here to be able to live in a different part of the world for a whole month. And then all the things that you have to set up over there and you don't understand their system. It feels like a road that's full of potholes and ditches on either side. But see, but God's saying, all right, let's think about it. Have I been faithful to you all this time? Have I been faithful to the people of God all this part of the road? Okay, yeah, all right. I'm telling you that I'm going to make it all right in the end. So we got this part of the road. We've got this part of the road. Your life is like that part of the road, you know? <laughs> and you're like, are you going to? Look, you can, you can trust me. You can trust me. And it, and it quiets that. The inner voice says, oh, yeah, that's right. I have a father. He built the road. There's nothing outside of him. So he makes the road. He wrote the whole story. Right? The story is done. And we're just traveling through the pages. And it feels like a pretty dramatic chapter right now. Right? And so we walk. We walk with him. That brings us to our second point. Trusting God with our future helps us live now. Now, the way that Malachi kind of wraps up his message is he says, okay, look, let's think about what God has said regarding himself up to now. You, you think, God has told us, you think I don't love you, but I do. You don't think it's worth worshiping me. You don't think it's worth honoring me with your marriages. You don't think it's worth honoring me with other parts of your life, but it is, right? You don't think that I'm going to bring justice to the world, but I am on the final day of the Lord. And in light of all of these things, remember and watch is how he ends his book. So remember Remember what God is calling you to. In verse 4, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. 
So this is a, a, a reference, right, to God giving the Torah, the law of Moses from Mount Sinai. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, well, we're not under that covenant anymore. We're not under the law anymore. Well, let's, let's stop and think a little bit about how to really understand the Torah. Because we, sometimes we don't quite have a grasp on it. And I'm not going to go through all the features of the Torah right now, but just a couple of things I want to point out. Part of the instruction of the Torah is to remind the people of Israel the basis of their relationship with Yahweh. What is it based on? It's based on him being their creator, yes, but also him being their redeemer. He has delivered them from their oppressors, Egypt, and brought them into the promised land. They remember that every year when? At Passover, right? And what did they do? They kill a lamb and eat it. And that, that means all, that, that, uh, we won't even go into all that that means. But let's just boil it down to, okay, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it, but God is my deliverer. Let's just boil it down to that. So that's one thing taught in the Torah. Another thing taught in the Torah, if you're looking at it for like a wide lens over all of it, it is an instruction to show you what it looks like to love Yahweh when the holy consuming fire of Yahweh lives in your midst. He's your husband. He's there. It shows you how you love him when he lives in your midst in the tabernacle and in the temple. Part of the Torah is about that. It's about loving God. Another part of the Torah is about what does it look like for us to love one another as fellow heirs of this kingdom that is coming, right, in the context of the ancient Near East. So God's universal moral law is contextualized for them with regard to the coming of the Messiah, but also to their situation in the ancient Near East. And we can talk about that more. And there's lots that we can talk about that. But just boil it all down to, okay, this shows us how we love one another as we wait for the Messiah and as we shine as a light to the Gentiles. Now, when you think about that, when you think about the Torah that way, then you begin to understand that all the commands, all the rituals, all the case laws, all the sacrifices, all the festivals, they all have the purpose of showing you the love of God that will be found in the Messiah that is to come. That's the whole Torah. Now, if that's the case, I don't think we can exactly say like, well, the Torah has no relevance for me. Are you, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, even though we are not technically under the old covenant, Right? We see all of these things fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so the way to obey this command is to respond to Jesus and his new covenant. And think about the parallels. Right? In the new covenant, it teaches us that we were delivered from our oppressors, sin, death, and the devil, through the death of a lamb. Right? It teaches us that now the love of God is poured into our hearts, Romans 5.5, 5, by the Holy Spirit as we are now the new living temple. It, it teaches us that now as we abide in Jesus Christ and wait for His second coming, 
We, we anticipate and wait for the coming of the Messiah again. You see, it's like almost exactly the same except for better. Right? Now, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, produce the fruits of the Spirit. Chiefly love. And notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. So remember what Carlton talked about last week with abiding in the vine. That's how fruit comes. Being united to Jesus. It's not being dead trees going, no, like you don't have the power to produce fruit. But when you, one more, (laughs) we don't have the power to produce fruit. But when we are connected to God, then his spirit comes inside and produces that fruit. Chief among the list is love. That's how the the list starts in, in Galatians chapter five, verse 22. And it is that love, not arguments, Not Facebook posts, Instagram posts, not laws. It is that love in us and for one another that is our chief apologetic. That draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anybody you will ever meet desires love. They were made that way. They were, and they seek it in all different kinds. Looking for love in all the wrong place. Right? They, but, it's from, but it actually comes from him. It comes from him. There's another version of that from SNL that I won't sing, but <laughs> just came to mind. Um, but that's, that's how people experience God's love. And so to obey this command, we remember that, yeah, Because God is all these things. He loved us first. He does love us. Right. Now we receive his love and that pours out of us. So he says, remember, and he says, watch. Watch what I will do. Not what you will do, but what I will do. In verse 5, he says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In the New Testament, it tells us that John the Baptist is actually this Elijah-type prophet. Zechariah, who is the, the father of John the Baptist, when he is in the temple, right, as a priest, he receives, like the, an angel of the Lord comes to him, and tells him the following message recorded in Luke chapter 1, beginning in the latter part of verse 13, where we read, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then skipping down to verse 16, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A people prepared for Jesus. Since the day of the Lord is coming, therefore, let us remember and let us watch for our healing sunrise to come, lest we experience it as a burning furnace. God's God's plan of salvation is beautiful, it's perfect, but again, on this particular leg of the journey, maybe for you today, 
Maybe it's hard to see that beauty. And it feels really, really, really tempting to want to grab control of your life. But here we have the testimony in the scriptures and in this room. The testimony of God's faithfulness to his people to bring them down very difficult, hard, and bumpy roads. The day of the Lord is coming as a healing sunrise for those who connect themselves to Jesus. And that, that understanding changes the way we experience our present existence. Will you trust God with your future? Let's pray together. Father, help us. We, we can understand these things with our head, Lord, but, but help us to embrace them with our heart by your spirit, God. As we face the challenges of this week, Lord, be with us. Help us. Give us the bigger picture, Lord, and help us to walk in light of it as you Teach us to trust you by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.